Tonight I'd like to title this lecture from the Parsha Vaikra, from um, Leviticus, the first chapter. We're going to be talking on this subject, taming the beast, taming the beast, find out what it is. We're going to be talking about the bull that is sacrificed in specific wording that comes out of this first Parsha, first chapter, as a matter of fact, verse 2. It says, Speak with the Israelites and tell them, If any person brings from among you an offering before the Lord, you must bring your offerings from cattle, sheep, and or goats. If you read this text, come on in and make yourself comfortable. If you read this text, what you'll find is, in a casual reading of the text, it sounds like this. If any man or woman brings an offering from the household of Israel, they need to bring a goat, a bull, etc. That's, that's what it sounds. But uh, Rabbi uh, Zalman of Liadi points out the verse does not say, a man of you who shall bring near an offering, but a man who shall bring near of you an offering. Do you see the difference in the text of how the original Hebrew speaks? Now listen very closely. Rabbi Zalman points out that the text does not say, a man of you who shall bring near an offering, but it says, a man who shall bring near an offering of you. Do you notice the difference in the language? I'm going to repeat it again. And I'm going to try to change it around just a little bit. The verse doesn't say, a man of you who shall bring an offering, uh, bring near an offering, but rather, a man who shall bring near of that man. A person who brings himself near, he, when he brings himself near, and he is going to offer of himself, he brings a bull. You understand the difference? So the Talmud brings out an interesting um, concept is that the, the world is in miniature. Let me, let me explain what the Talmud says when it says that. Which means that the world is a man in micro. Our world contains oceans and continents and forests and desert and men and beasts. So too does man, the human Psyche includes the subconscious seas and the terrestrial persona. Is, uh, it has lust forest, lush forest and barren deserts, and it has a human soul and an animal soul. We have two partitions or two parts of a soul. We have the human, which is the divine, right? That is the connection from God. God places within us a human soul. We've heard this analogy that the soul that we have inside of us is only part of the overall soul. Where's the rest of the soul? Do we know? It's with Hashem, right? It's, 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 it's in the, the presence. It is Hashem. It's in Hashem. So much in the same way that your foot is in your shoe and the majority of your body is outside of the shoe, so the, is the, the human soul or the divine spark that is within you. But along with that, you have an animal nature, an animal soul, which is also titled the Yetzer, what? 
All right. This Yetzirah is really an interesting deal. It never was meant to be removed, but for sure disciplined. Incredible idea of the ox and the plow. You have an ox that is on a regular basis brought as an offering when a man or a woman wants to draw close to Hashem. It says, bring of yourself. Was Hashem interested in the bull or the ox or the goat or interested in the human soul? The human soul. What part of the human soul is he wanting, is he interested in? No, the opposite. What he wants is the animal nature. Follow. The animal nature is what Hashem desires. Because on the first offering, which is the Allah offering or the elevation offering, what was unique about that elevation offering? compared to the other offerings. The whole animal was burnt to include its skin, blood, everything, completely consumed. So what the elevation offering is about is, excuse me one second. It'll come on just a moment. It's just delayed for some reason. What the, um, the idea of bringing the animal offering is that individual is drawing near to Hashem. And in the process of drawing near to Hashem, he is demonstrating to him that he's coming to be fully consumed by the holy fire. Does that make sense? He's desiring to bring the animalistic nature, that which constantly opposes the Yetzer Tov, or the good nature, you are saying to him, I will draw near to you, and the way I draw near to you is by bringing my animalistic nature and laying it upon the altar. Now, which is pretty unique because <laughs> the problem with sacrifice is they always keep crawling off the altar if they're not killed. Right? And a lot of us really work hard at providing a sacrifice, but we never kill the thing. So it crawls off the altar and jumps right back inside of us, and we're still dealing with the evil inclination. There's an interesting analogy because the same ox that would be presented as an offering to Hashem, representing the animal nature of man, there is also the ox that plows the field, a very productive animal. The beast that is within man has not been placed there just so that it should be suppressed or uprooted but it is to be productive. So the animal nature within inside of us, Hashem put it inside of each one of us to be productive. It's to help produce something inside of you. One of the great Talmudists says that the soul, the animal nature of man, if harnessed properly and put in the right restraints, can have more passion and zeal for Hashem than the Yetzir Tov. Because it has more power. It has more oomph to it, right? And when you put it in, in, um, in, re- in the proper restraints, then the animalistic nature, with it being disciplined by Torah, becomes a force to be with, contended with in your life. 
you convert the, the mass and the energy that the Yetzer Hara has into purposes to help you fulfill the Yetzer Tov. Do you understand the concept? It's like harnessing an ox. They join up. And that's why God has put them both in you. And see, for many years, we have fought battles trying to get rid of this evil negative nature of ours. When in reality, Hashem has put those two competing natures in you, one for productivity, the other for connection to Hashem. One without the other is not going to accomplish it. So you can have a connection with Hashem, but if you have no passion, no desire, no zeal, how are you going to connect to Hashem? So this is an interesting idea. This quote here says, the animal soul, this, this comes from the, the, the Rebbe, uh, that says, the animal soul is the self that man shares with all living creatures, a self-driven and fulfilled by its physical needs and desires. Its vehicles of expression are the endeavors of material life. A man who shall bring near of you an offering to God from the beast, from the cattle, and from the sheep, you shall bring close your offering. So when a person brings an animal from his paddock as a gift to God, the gesture is devoid of meaning unless he also offers the animal within himself. I had a young man contact me some time back about struggling with some issues in his life. which were common to, common to young men. And when I found out that, that um, inappropriate material was being viewed on the Internet, I tried to explain to him how powerful that beast is, the, 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 the evil inclination. And that like a strong ox, you feed it and let it run wild, and it will tear up every bit of things that you have tried to produce in your life. It will destroy the crops, destroy the barns, the fields. And you can never afford to let that beast run wild. Because once you do, there comes a critical point, critical mass, that an individual who waits too long to discipline that will never be able to bring it into subjection. Rabbi... Yosef Mizraki said this in a lecture that I saw today. He was talking about individuals who end up going into, you know, who sort of give over to all of their inclinations. That at some point they become very happy and satisfied with their very negative desires. Rabbi Nachman of Brislov says that a man should repent when he is the youngest that he can, do tshuva, as young as he possibly can, because when he gets older, he will have become sated within his pleasures and have no desire to repent. So this is the example of the wild bull that's let to run, or oxen. Once you let it run, it is going to be almost impossible to tame it. And Baruch Hashem, most of us, early in our lives, begin to sort of bring that nature into subjection and to discipline it and guide it. And the best thing that I, I term I use all the time is taking on the yoke of heaven. You've heard me say that before. What is the yoke for? What's a yoke for? Can you guys tell me? Not the kind you break and scramble up. To steer, right? That's a good one. What's another one? Huh? Keeps them in line, right? Uh, do you 
plow a field with an ox and an, an ass. Why? It won't work. Right? So when you take upon yourself the yoke of Torah, you have to be yoked equally with someone who is on the same kind of journey, who is being guided by Hashem. And when I say equally yoked, I'm talking about in the context of community and people that you hang around with. If people that I hang around with all the time are yielding themselves over to their animal nature, it's like having yourself tied to um, a donkey, basically. So with that being said, when we take upon the yoke of heaven, Hashem steers us, He guides us, He knows when to pull the reins back and slow us down a little bit. He knows when to give us an encouragement, right? He knows how to put the carrot in front of us. He's the one that feeds us. He's the one that makes sure that we're taken care of and protected from the elements. You see, absolutely. And what we realize is once we get into the harness or the yoke of, of, of heaven, there's security behind that. There's a tremendous amount of um, peace behind that. I've heard people call the Torah or the laws of God um, bondage. Have you heard that one before? Have you ever been around a child long enough to know that the child needs their rear end whipped because they want it? My parents used to say, I remember my mom telling me this all the time. You're just begging to be switched, right? And I'd be like, no, honestly, I just, I've never asked once. I'm not interested. But a child that doesn't get disciplined, and when I'm talking about healthy, proper discipline, a child that is not disciplined doesn't feel connected to their parents. And that's why they often will show up and make a, a scene in public and, and constantly are giving their parents a hard time because they're crying out to be yoked, to be tamed, to be brought under some kind of direction and control. A child that is not disciplined is not a happy child. And let's take it to the next level. A human on a quest to be a child of Hashem that is not disciplined in their life are going to be unhappy people. They're not going to be satisfied. They'll be constantly looking for some place to, to, um, to direct their path. And the only real place to direct the path is through two, true Torah knowledge. The, uh, there is another offering that we will mention besides the, the Olah offering, which is the, um, the offering that is... Hold on, let me skip down. It's called the Chalavim, which would be, uh, the, 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 ish, the idea is that the offering be brought, only certain veins would be removed and the blood, but the meat would be eaten by, and the fat, and the meat would be eaten by the priest and in a very holy situation by the people that brings the offering. It was an interesting thing that comes down from this, from a discussion that the Rebbe has in his, uh, in his text for the portion. He says, like the Olah, the blood of these offerings, what we're talking about, the offering of, uh, that is given for sin offering and peace offering. Uh, offerings are poured out on the altar. So the blood is poured out. But unlike the holy burnt offerings, only certain parts of the chatat and the shelamim, 
ascend by fire. The Torah designates certain veins of fat called chalavim, which should be removed and burnt. But the meat of the korban or the offering or the animal was eaten under special conditions of holiness. There are portions, now pay real careful attention to this. Unlike the first offering that is completely consumed, meaning that what Hashem wants you to do, if you're feeling very special and connected to God, you can come bring uh, an elevation offering. And when you bring that elevation offering, what you're telling Hashem is not only do I want to be consumed, but I want you to take and convert my animal nature into the purest energy, right? Because that's what the old law is. It burns everything up, and it converts the whole animal into pure energy. And so what we're telling Hashem is when I come before you and I, I offer this animal, what I'm saying that I want you to take my animal nature and completely vaporize it and allow it to ascend into pure energy and drive and passion to connect to you. You, you see where we're at. So the next one is the two offerings that are the peace offering and the sin offering, which are offerings that would uh, be partially eaten and some of it be put on the fire. There are portions of our material lives which, like the burnt offering, are wholly converted into holiness. The money given to, uh, to charity, the leather made for the tefillin, the energy expended in the study of Torah, prayer, performance of mitzvahs, then there is also the money we spend to feed our families and the leather we make our shoes and the energy we expend in everyday business of the physical life. But these two can, can, be serve, uh, can serve as a korban to God when they are eaten in holiness. When the hun- money is honestly earned, the food is kosher, and our everyday, life, everyday activities are conducted in a way that is considered of our fellows and faith to the divine laws of life. So what is he saying? In much the same way that the offering that was given and partially part of it was eaten, which sustained them, which gave them energy, which was very material, very physical thing. It was like a meal that they would have together. In the same way that that animal sustained them and gave them energy and helped to bring the family closer, so does your sort of mundane task in your life, because you operate out of your animal nature and your, and your godly nature together, we are taking the things that are very physical, and we're also taking the, the zeal and the passion of our yetzer, which means our, our inclination to achieve and to accomplish things and to work hard and to make money and have a happy family life. Those are holy things if it's kept within what we call the sanctuary of holiness in our life. I've said this before, and I would like to repeat it again uh, with your kindness, that our lives are always in the great sanctuary of Hashem. We are never in a holy place and out of a holy place. We are always in a holy place. Why is that? Because we are in Hashem. He, there's nothing outside of Him. Our whole world that we're living in right now is in Him. So therefore, every moment is a sanctified moment. My whole life is a sanctified moment. With that being said, the things that I consider very mundane, taking the children to school, going to meet somebody for an appointment, uh, going to work each week, all of those things seem to be mundane, and you would love to be able to spend hours studying Torah, but in reality, those things are very important. 
Because those are the very things that keep you sustained in life so that you can come to the team, so that you can go home and watch lectures and study the Torah. Those things are imperative. Let's look at one last thing. The blood that is poured on the altar. And the reason why we called it Taming the Beast is because obviously it's about the beast that is put on the altar. But I wanted you to understand that the sacrifices, and I said this the other night, the sacrifices were not for removing sin. They were for unintentional sin. That meant that a person who wanted to connect to God, if you want to connect to God in a special way, you would bring an offering. That's how it works. If I was going to visit uh, a king during those times, even today, if I'm going to meet you know, somebody for the first time and I really want to ingratiate myself to them, I bring a gift. That's why I've, my wife is this way. Uh, if we ever go to someone's house for a meal or dinner or whatever, she always brings a little something. She says, I never like to go empty-handed to that event. Hashem is saying, when you come near to me, bring something that's special. Bring something that, is, that you've taken time to pay for. I love what uh, David Hamelik, uh, King David, says, I will not give any sacrifice that I've not paid for. You remember when they were going to give sacrifices and, and the person offered, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll give you all the animals. He says, no, I'm going to pay for them because it's not worth it if I haven't paid for it. So these, the sacrifices wasn't about appeasing an angry God because he wanted blood offerings. It, he was, he's not like the pagan gods who are somehow persuaded to do mystical things for a person because they have went through this ritual sacrifice. What God wants is the heart of man and the mind. So next, what did the blood represent? Because we have heard this expression in modern Christianity, that blood removes the sin. Have you heard this before? Well, the blood of the animal soul is favor and passion for material things. One must be poured upon the altar... It's fat. What does fat represent? What does fat hold, by the way? Toxins. Waste. That's why we're not supposed to eat a lot of fat, because you're eating the toxins and waste of the animal. But it also means or represents pleasure. You know, back in the old days, if you were a fat king, you were one who was well-to-do, and it was pretty important in a society where most people were very small and didn't eat a lot of meals if you were Rotund, that meant that you're wealthy. Nowadays, it means that you're in poverty, I guess, because most people that are having obesity problems are in the poverty rate, right? So it says, the fat is excessive indulgence and pleasure-seeking. That also must be burnt. So how can we truly get the full the full punch of the energy from our animal nature that we consume, that we use for our daily living, is to offer the blood, which is fervor and passion, and offer the fat, which is excessive indulgent and pleasure-seeking, meaning that if I truly want to harvest my beast or tame my beast, then I have got to 
completely consume my self-centered, egotistical pleasure, uh, pleasure uh, points in my life. As I think Rabbi Nachman Brislav calls it, nullifying yourself. You've got, to, you've got to say, okay, what you get is what you need, but your pleasures need to be kept in check. It's basically the, the source of that. Last but not least, the meat. The meat can be sanctified even when it is not wholly converted into a holy act, as long as they are eaten in holiness. Our material endeavors can be a means of bringing us close. The meaning of the word korban of man to God, meaning a connection or a drawing close to Hashem. We'll finish the discussion by challenging ourselves with this idea. How do I live my life with my passions to include the things that are pleasurable in my life? How do I do those things in holiness? How do I do them in holiness? First of all, we know that as long as you're conducting yourself with mitzvahs and righteous acts of 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 following Torah law, etc., giving to charity, showing kindness to the poor, um, the study of Torah, daily prayers, then everything you do in the physical world then becomes elevated and holy. So even eating a meal that seems to be so sort of mundane becomes a very holy event because you've said a blessing over your meal. Even waking up and grabbing your first cup of coffee becomes holy because you've gotten up and said your prayers appropriately, because you've connected that very moment of waking up and connecting your heart with Hashem. Late at night before you go to bed, that very mundane thing of turning down the sheets and getting prepared to go to sleep becomes a sanctified holy moment. When you close your eyes and you appeal to Hashem, to preserve your soul, to take your soul and keep it in well-keeping while you sleep. You see, your moments are sanctified every hour of the day. And so what you think is mundane, it's not at all. And even though we don't have a temple, we can't bring sacrifices, what we can bring is the most important thing that God wants, and that is your soul your animal nature. He wants you to lay that animal nature on the altar, bring it into into the proper place that it should be put in. Don't let it run wild. And it has to be a daily offering. It has to be a daily offering. We cannot afford to not do this. When we do this, we will have genuinely tamed the beast. That includes the class. If anybody has any questions or comments, fears, doubts, unbeliefs, or whatever, Now's the time to ask them.